If you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 10. If I haven't met you, my name's Russ. I'm part of the uh, leadership team here. I don't lead the church. Jesus leads the church. And he leads it through a team. I get to be part of that team. But I get the privilege of sharing the word this morning. And so we've been talking about the uh, Ephesians 4 gifts that Jesus gives to the church to equip and build us up. And we've been looking at them as indications of what the full stature of maturity of Christ looks like. Because if you read from Ephesians 4, we gave gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the, work of the, uh, for the edifying, uh, for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body. And it says, until we all come to a mature man or woman, to the full stature of Christ. So there's something in those that are an indication of what the full stature of Christ looks like. And so we've been talking about that. Today we're going to talk about the pastoral. We're finishing this. This is the last one in this series. Some of you are going, oh, I thought this would never end. <laughs> he was going forever. Uh, so we want to talk about the pastoral, and then we'll, we'll review them all at the end. But in John chapter 10, from verse 11, it says, I am the good shepherd, Jesus speaking. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by them. The word shepherd there is the same word that occurs in Ephesians 4.11. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Pastors, the word pastor is shepherd. It's poimen in the Greek, and it means one who tends, leads, guides, feeds, protects. That's what you would expect, huh? We often use it in reference to pastors, but what we need to realize is that it applies to every one of us. <laughs> That's all the fun stuff for uh, kids' church. But it applies to all of us. We're all to be this. So if you've kind of said, ah, no, I'm going to leave that to someone else, you need to think again really comes down to the pastoral is covenant relationships. It really comes down to how we interact with one another. Relationships that are motivated by love and not just self-interest. That's what makes us different. If you turn over a couple of pages to John 13, from verse 34, Jesus again speaking says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I've loved you. That's a big qualification there. That you also love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another. That word love is, most of you would know, is agape. And it actually is a word that wasn't actually used much in Greek before the New Testament. It existed, but it wasn't used because it was beyond most people's comprehension, it's actually a, a love that always seeks the highest good of another person. Agape is more love by choice than phylos, which is love by chance. 
And it refers to the will rather than the emotion. When God commands us to love, he's not saying have a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling towards someone. Because that's often based on what they do. You don't feel warm and fuzzy when they beat you in golf. <laughs> but you choose someone else's highest anyway. No, love is a choice for someone else's highest. The opposite of love is not, because love isn't a, a feeling, it's not a warm, fuzzy feeling. The opposite of love is not a feeling, because love, this love, is a choice. The opposite of this love is rather than choosing someone else's highest, I choose my own highest. So the opposite of love is selfishness. It's still a choice, but I'm choosing myself rather than someone else. And that's what Jesus is talking about. That unselfish love that chooses the other highest goes beyond the natural. See, it's only possible when we're in his love, in Christ. Otherwise, we can't choose someone else's highest. It's kind of like whether you approach relationships with an empty cup or a full cup. Merv, would you just grab me a water cup back there real quick? An empty one will work. Yeah, that's probably safer when it gets into my hands. <laughs> Too often we approach life and relationships with an empty cup. I'm looking for someone else to fill my cup. If I find the right person, if I find the right partner, maybe Mary would fill my cup. Would you pour something into my cup there? Yeah, that, that's good. Whoa, whoa. See, I'm constantly looking, what can other people give me? But the thing is, when we're in Christ and our cup is full, we can approach relationships from a, a point of, not that I need what can I then pour out? As Paul shared in the testimony, his daughter says, I'm complete in Christ. I don't need a partner to be complete, but I can approach relationship from a point of completeness that I can then pour out to others. For those of you who aren't married yet, you need to find your fullness in God, not in a, a mate or a spouse. I had a friend of mine, uh, a guy who was a pastor, a young guy was engaged and he was meeting with a, an older couple for some premarital counseling and the guy told them, you're only getting married because you're selfish. He went, wait, I'm a pastor. I'm tempted to drink that, but I have no idea what kind of tea that is. <laughs> I'd probably spit it all over the place. So you're only getting married because you're, you're selfish. You're looking at this beautiful young woman as what she can give you. And he looked to her and he said, and you're only getting married because you're selfish. You're looking at him and what he can provide for you. You need to actually look to Jesus and then say, okay, what can I pour out? Big difference in how we approach relationships. Jesus says this. This is the distinguishing mark that Jesus points to. I find it interesting that he doesn't say 
By this will all men know you, my disciples, the fact that you love me. That would be the logical thing. What's the indication that you're a disciple of Jesus, that you love him? Or the fact that you're filled with the Spirit? Or the fact that you have the right biblical theology? By this will all men know you're my disciples, that you have the right understanding of the Bible. Or even the fact that you love the lost, those who are outside. No, he says, by this will all men know you, my disciples, that you have love, agape, for one another. Why? Because that includes all those. You can't love one another as Jesus loves without first being filled with Jesus' love. Sorry, I'm going to... I already knocked over Tim's glasses. Okay. Blues Brothers here. I would do that, but I can't see my notes. <laughs> Terrible. But see, what that leads us into is the one another's in the New Testament. There's about 40 one another's. And I want to read some of them to you. Because this is really what covenant, covenant relationships is all about. I'm going to read them, but Christy's going to get them faster because I'm not going to read the whole thing. Philippians 2, 4 says, Let each one of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That's the basic underlying premise. Galatians 5.13 says, Through love, serve one another. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens. Oh, man, I have pr problems bearing my own burdens. I don't want to have to bear Tim's as well. <laughs> Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Why do I need to be forgiving toward others, because even though we're being transformed into the image of Christ, we're becoming like him, none of us have got there yet. And sometimes we make mistakes. None of us are perfect. So we have to have this hard attitude that says, if I'm gonna be covenant relationship with these guys, I have to have a forgiving heart, because Johnny might mess up sometime. Duh. When he does, I have to be willing to forgive. Ephesians 5.19, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's a whole other sermon. I, we won't get into that. Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Oh, what does that mean? It actually says, I recognize in other people the Spirit of God. And I can actually receive what the Spirit of God might say through them in the fear of the Lord. It's not that I'm superior. I've got education. 
I know more. I actually don't, but I try to pretend. Every once in a while, I throw out a good vocabulary word to try to imp impress you with my vocabulary. <laughs> but too often we think that way rather than, hey, Richard's full of the Spirit of God. And he can share something, and I can say, hey, I need to hear that. See, submitting doesn't, is not an order thing. It's not coming under, but it's actually standing in line, being open to receive. Romans 14.2, receive one another. Romans 14.19, pursue the things by which one may edify another. Now think about that. I'm pursuing the things that will edify someone else. You should have let me win in golf, Josh. <laughs> no, he had a wonderful game golf with Josh. He beat me, which he had to, because just think what I would be saying if I beat him. <laughs> Romans 12.10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love giving preference to one another. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another again. 3.16, teaching and admonishing one another. You know, it actually says that we teach each other. See, I've got to be open to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying through someone else. 1 Peter 1.22, love one another fervently with a pure heart. In case you haven't got the love part yet, it's fervently. With a pure heart, 4.8, have fervent love for one another. 1 Peter 4.10, minister to one another. And then 1 John 4, 7, 11, 12, I'll say let us love one another. In case you haven't got that part. So we're talking about becoming like Jesus. It comes down to the bottom line, loving and serving. For those of you who need the simplicity, see, I could have saved us eight weeks. <laughs> I just said this, but you wouldn't have understood it all. Matthew 20. I'm actually going to turn to this, but Christy is so much quicker than I am. I was tempted just to turn around and read them off the, uh, the, board, the screen today. Matthew 20 and verse 28, Jesus says this, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. If we're going to be like Jesus, then there's something of serving. Loving requires us to serve, there's something of humility. So what's the church that's like Jesus? This is my dream. A church of people who are like Jesus, everyone. A church of people who love Jesus, who are empowered and led by the Spirit, who are built on the Word of God with a love for the lost and a love for each other. In other words, a group of people who love Jesus, love the Spirit, love the Word, love the lost, and love one another. Wouldn't that be a wonderful church? Mary and I were part of a mission organization when we were young. 
And the leader of that organization said to the whole group at one point, if the church were doing what the church should be doing, there'd be no reason for this organization to exist. Which was a very candid statement. But that was, for us, a culmination of a number of years of God beginning to speak into our hearts. How do we help the church be what it should be? How do we become part of the solution rather than just part of the problem? Because let me tell you, what is the church? You're the church. Here's where I start stepping on toes. You're either part of the solution or you are part of the problem. It's easy for people to say the church should be this. But are you that? The church should be loving. Well, I want to ask you, are you loving? The church should be helping others, bearing one another's burdens. That's what it says. I want to ask you, are you bearing one another's burdens? Are you saying, those guys, these guys say those guys on that side, that's the church and they should do this, but it doesn't actually apply to me. Okay, here we take a deep breath. My dream is a church where we're all part of the solution and not part of the problem. That we're saying, Jesus, transform me to be like you. And the byproduct is a whole lot of people who look like Jesus. The wonderful part of this is that you don't become like Jesus by getting morbidly introspective. I'm going to examine myself and see what's not here and what should be changed and what I can do and maybe I can change this. And and, and if I work hard on that, you become like Jesus by looking at Jesus. You become like Jesus by being in love with Jesus. Not by trying to be like Tim, as wonderful as he is, Not by saying, if I can just change some things, we get... No, you become like Jesus by being in love with Jesus. Focusing on Jesus. And then just simply obey what he tells you to do. Well, but I'm not quite ready. I know that I have some problems. Forget that. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. And all the things will be added. Seek first Jesus. Obey what he says. We're the church. You're the church. The person next to you is the church. Are we the church that everyone points to and says, they're unloving? Are we actually the church that says, no, we're going to love people. We're going to receive people. We're going to accept people. There's a lot of things that the church does. One of the things, obviously, the church gathers for worship in the word. The church gathers to build community and pray for one another. The church gathers to prayer. Jesus says, my house, my house would be called a house of prayer for all nations. There's something about praying. We can't do all those on Sunday morning. As Mary said last week, we can't be a Sunday morning church because church is not a service. Church is not people gathering 
the church is people. It's us connecting with people. And that's why we have small groups or home groups. Because while you can come here and stare at the back of someone's head, and there's a purpose because we're worshiping together. There's a a synergy that happens as we worship together. There's a teaching of the word that happens and we're transformed. But you can't accomplish everything that the church is supposed to do in just Sunday morning meeting. Someone said, well, how how are you going to keep the values of the church as it grows? I said, our values is that we just focus on Jesus. And no matter how many people are here, we're going to focus on Jesus. Someone asked me early on, how how big are you going to allow the church to get before uh, you say that's enough? I said, I never thought about that, but I don't want to be the person at the door saying, sorry, we're full. (laughs) Everyone would be coming early. (laughs) Maybe that's a good idea. (laughs) In this concept of us being like Jesus, the apostolic is a focus on him and being in love with Jesus. The prophetic is a focus on the spirit and being in love with the spirit. Teacher is a focus on the word and loving the word. Evangelist is a focus on people outside and loving them. Not trying to change them or smash them, but just loving them. And the pastoral is a focus on the body and loving one another. In that context, we believe that there's something when Jesus said in Acts 2 that he added to the church those who are being saved. Now, the church, what that meant to those people was that he added them together with people. Sometimes we have this concept of a universal church. There's this everybody who's part of the body of Christ is part of the church. I actually don't think that's the church. That's the kingdom. Because by definition, the church is a gathering of people. And so I'm not connected with people on the other side of the world. They are a church, but they're part of the kingdom. We're part of the kingdom together. But church, by definition, is a group of people. Real life people. Not just internet people. And there's something of God knitting us together. And so in light of that, we have an opportunity where we will say to people, if you're feeling like God's adding you here, we want to help you in that process. So we do a time at our house where people can ask questions. You don't have to go to that to be added to the church. But there's something that says, I believe this is where God's planting me. There's something that says, these are the people God's connecting me with. Doesn't mean that you're disconnected from the rest of the body of Christ. We pray regularly for other churches in the city. We connect in partnership with churches around the nation. But there's something to say, okay, here is where I'm connected. And what does that mean? See, I challenge people who come to that, that if we read in Acts 2, talks about some things that they did. And the bottom line is that they were committed to growing. Said so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's not, okay, they listened to a lot of words, but there's something about being committed to growth. We're doers of the word and not just hearers only. But then it says that they gave themselves to fellowship. There's a commitment to community. 
I actually am connected to people. And then they shared in uh, breaking of bread and prayer. There's a commitment to participate. See, if we're going to be like Jesus, we're all going to be participants. We're a kingdom of priests. Sometimes people share different things. People are involved in different ways. We can't all share on Sunday morning. So that's one of the reasons why we have smaller groups as well, where we have a chance to share and pray for one another. We then ask people who feel like they're added if they would just acknowledge that on a Sunday morning. We acknowledge them. Why do we do that? You might say, well, I don't actually need to, to declare that I'm added here because I know in my heart I am, which is wonderful. But it's something to say to everyone else. I actually feel like I'm added here. I was thinking about this this morning. It's kind of like, you know, the, well, I'm not sure if, in Australia, because I wasn't here at that point, but in the 1970s, there was a big issue in the States where people were saying, we don't actually have to go through a ceremony to get married. It's not the piece of paper, it's the heart. Which is true. But if it really is the heart, then why not do the ceremony? So let me say, if you actually feel like you're added to this church, why not declare that? Now, we don't, when we talk about it, we're not talking about membership. You're not joining anything. You're just simply saying, why is that important? Because in our culture, we have a very entertainment-oriented culture where you can go to the movies, the cinema. What do we call it here? Movies? Both. You can go there, and you're, you're watching a movie with a whole bunch of other people. That's not the church. That's just you're in the same place with a whole bunch of people. You might know some of them, but you might not at all. You might, you're not connected, and when it's over, you just go separate ways. And for many people, that's how they approach church. I just come and show up on Sunday, and I see what's happening, but I'm not really connected with people. I go to a show. In fact, there's a, a big church in the States where a friend of mine was going for a while, and they had a number of services on the weekend, about 12. And they would refer to it as, which show are you going to? <laughs> now, I don't think that they were saying we're trying to be a show, but I'm just saying that they have fallen into something of an entertainment-oriented culture. It says, which, guys, that's not the church. Church isn't a show. As Mary was sharing last week, church is not just Sunday morning. It's people being connected, praying for one another. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another, loving one another, serving one another. With that in mind, we have some folks who are going to be added this morning. You guys thought I'd forgot about that, huh? I hadn't. Uh, and, and it's a delight. It's a privilege. But it's also something for us just to acknowledge. And so those of you who have felt that and have indicated to me or haven't, but you feel like God's being in it. If you would come to the front right now, we're going to pray for, just pray for these guys and girls. What often happens in this is that at certain times, people do the class and then they tell me, look, I really feel like we're added. But every time we do one of these prayer times, they're not here. 
And that's just life. So we do it regularly. Over here, come on. Over here in, in the front. Let me be very clear, they're not joining the church. Okay? They're feeling like they're connected with this group of people. We don't have a membership. You know, membership speaks of benefits received for dues paid. If, you, if you're a member of something, you get some sort of rewards if you pay the dues. That's not what this is about. It's just actually saying, I believe God's connecting me here. And so these are people that you can get to know. These are people you can pray for, I hope. So I'm going to have them introduce themselves. And then I'm going to ask everyone else who has felt like they've been added here, if you would just, in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come up, stand with us, and pray for these guys. So start with... I'm Helen. I'm 60-something. 60-something. What's your last name, Helen? Helen Flood. Helen Flood. I'm Diane Turner. I won't tell you how old. <laughs> 29. I know. I'm Glenn Turner, and I'm only two months older than my wife. <laughs> so, so he just turned Keep 30. Guessing. <laughs> I'm Cora Mendham. Nick Mendham. That's, That's Esther. <laughs> Hi, Esther. We're glad you're here, too. I'm going to ask, uh, if you would... Uh, those of you who have been added in the past, if you would just come and lay hands on these guys, it's signifying, again, receiving, that we're, we're part of this together. Sorry, let me... Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing. Lord, we just say... Together, we want to be the church that Jesus is building. And Lord, we, we want to be that expression. As we're being conformed into your image, we want to be the expression of Jesus in the earth today. We re- recognize that where we go, your presence comes with us. But there's something as we gather together that your presence is manifest. So Father, we just thank you for these guys. We receive them, and we ask that you would cause them to grow and to be more like Jesus, to be equipped and released in ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Give them a hug. You don't all, every one of you have to hug every one of them. That might take a while. Part of the purpose of, that we gather is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's all of us. We actually get to do the work of the ministry. And that's why quite often we'll finish with a time of ministry. If people need prayer, if you need a touch from God. And it'll be a whole lot of people who will pray. A whole lot of people who are gathered around because we're a kingdom of priests. Let me say this. You don't have to be added to the church before you can minister.
You have to be filled with the Spirit before you can minister in the Spirit. But you don't have to be out of the church. I was uh, surprised my mom and dad, who are in their 90s, visited a church, and they wouldn't allow them to have communion unless they were members of the church. And I kind of went, that's weird. I don't see that in the Bible. But uh, what is funny is that they were happy for my mom to help with the kids <laughs> and teach the children, but she couldn't have communion without being a member. That's one of the reasons why we don't have membership. Because <laughs> that's just, membership has often been used as something to kind of control people. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a minister. You don't become a minister because you join a church. You're a part of the kingdom. If you're filled with the Spirit, you can minister anywhere. It's not just in church. If, if you think the only ministry that takes place is in this room on Sunday morning, you've got the wrong concept. It takes place everywhere you go. You carry Jesus with you. And you have that privilege. And we can pray for one another. And so we often will do, will do that and say, hey, if you, need, if you have a need and we haven't dealt with it through something already this morning, as we're dismissed to have some coffee and tea and just connect with one another, if you need someone to pray with you, just come to the front. There'll be people who would come, love to come and pray with you. If you haven't met Jesus, we would love to introduce you to him because that's where it all starts. If you need healing, there's some people who'd love to pray with you. If you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, there's some folks who'd love to pray with you. Okay, so sometimes there's a word of knowledge and God specifically identifies certain things and we respond to that and sometimes it's just a matter of, hey, I just need someone to pray with me. And so uh, stand with, with, with me, would you please? Because we're going to be dismissed right now. And uh, before we are, can I ask you, I... I hesitate to do this because it sounds very contrived, but can I ask you just to close your eyes for a second? And would you, in whatever way is comfortable for you, ask Jesus to continue to conform you to his image? Lord, would you make us like you? We want to be the full stature in relationship with God, in character, but also in ministry. You said the works that I do, you'll do. Lord, we want to be the full stature of Christ. And so we say, will you do that in us? And we open our heart to you and say, Holy Spirit, we want to be the church that represents the king. Doesn't represent a denomination, doesn't represent a person, but represents the head of the church, which is Jesus. Do that in us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have some coffee and tea. If